Lord, we pray your blessing upon the reading of the word this day. May this passage in Luke 4 speak to us and teach us how to be more faithful followers of yours. Ultimately, Lord, may it teach us how to prepare ourselves for the spiritual battle that we are in in this very world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Spiritual battle for the disciple of Jesus. Um, I don't know what you think about what's going on in Ukraine. I don't really know what the truth is, to be honest with you. But I will say this. It seems as if somebody wasn't really prepared for what was happening. Maybe it seems like more than somebody. Maybe a lot of somebodies were not prepared for what is now taking place. I might have that wrong, but that's what it seems like to me as I watch the news and try to sort out in my own head what's going on. Yesterday, we um, took a trip over to see my niece. We took her. Emma inherited her daddy's bunk beds. She has just turned two last month, and they've decided she can move into a big girl bed, and so we took it's actually Jake and Nate's, Nate's daddy to Emma, uh, beds over there. And while we were out, I got hungry. I'm uh, trying to watch what I eat these days, and I had not come prepared uh, for the fact that I was going to get hungry. And so we went into a store, and I picked up what I should have never picked up. It was just a terribly bad choice tasted good, but it was a terribly bad choice. What it came down to is, is that I had not prepared for what was taking place, for what was going to happen. So today's message, in a sense, with those two inroads that I just gave you, the, the war in Ukraine as well as what we sometimes do in failing to prepare for our own situations, today's message is about really getting ready uh, for spiritual battle because you, whether you know it or not, are in a spiritual battle. And in the scripture that we read this morning, we know it as the temptation of Christ. But I would like for you this morning to look at it in the sense of a spiritual battle. With that in mind, I want to go a couple of verses at a time, and we'll just talk about them for a minute, and we'll move on and get down to that bottom line that I usually give you. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. Jesus was lured, if you were, to this temptation. He wasn't out there to be tempted. He was out there to get close to his father. And if you look at this passage, and you look, many people have done this as they've studied this passage, they liken it to the 40 years, if you would, um, of Israel in the wilderness. And there are a lot of parallels, the manna and all those things taking place. Uh, you can look at it how you choose, but at the end of the day, it's a time of testing for Jesus. Do you ever think about how many types of testing you might have to go through? Sometimes, just like this, people are lured to do evil. Do you ever think of that? We're lured to do the wrong thing. Sometimes we are prone to look for a way to do the wrong thing. I want to tell you why that doesn't apply to Jesus for a minute. 
In, in James 1.13, you'll find this verse. Let no one say when they're tempted, I'm tempted by God, because God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Now stop and think about that for a minute. We're lured to do evil, but God will never tempt himself this way, and he doesn't tempt us to do evil. So the temptation was coming from Satan. But not all temptation, think about this for a minute, necessarily comes from Satan. Sometimes it just comes from ourselves. Because what James goes on to say is this, each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desires. Desire, when it is conceived, will give birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, will bring forth death. So I want you to think about temptation in those terms for a minute. God's not going to tempt you to do evil, but sometimes we do it to ourselves because we have desires and we have things that we want out of, that flow out of our sinful nature that will get us into a bad place. Sometimes, though, even though God will not tempt us to do evil, I want you to think about this, second point. Sometimes we will tempt God by asking him to do things that are unreasonable and contrary to what we say we believe. Now you say, Joel, what are you talking about? Hmm. Israel, when they were coming up out of Egypt, found themselves thirsty. Now, all the way out there for all those years, God had provided for them. They had all they needed. They had everything they wanted. But at one point in their history, they, at a place called Massah, they found themselves hungry. And they became very demanding of Moses and ultimately of God. And what their, their demands were showing were really that they didn't trust God to give them water when they needed it. And out of that circumstance, God spoke to Moses and to Israel and said these words, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massah. Now, understand this. God tests us but he doesn't tempt us. They're out there in the wilderness, and they can't find water. It's not because God was tempting them to do the wrong thing. I think God was looking at their faith, and they did the wrong thing. It goes on in, in Deuteronomy 8 and verse 2. It, the, the scripture says this, You'll remember the whole way that the Lord led you these 40 years in the wilderness. wilderness. He humbled you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Think about this. God knows all about us, and he knows what we're going to do. But sometimes he may test us. Jesus ate nothing. And when these days were ended, he was hungry. And look at what happens in the third verse. The devil said to him, if you're the son of God, command this stone to become bread. What you, in context, need to remember is that just in the chapter ahead of this, Jesus has been baptized, right? And when he comes up out of the water, God speaks, and God says this, This is my son, whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. Satan is not saying, the devil didn't come to Jesus and say, I'm questioning whether you're the son of God. Satan knew exactly who Jesus was. He's saying to him something far different. Are you willing to use who you are for your own benefit in a way that really isn't the way that your father would? The devil says, if you're the son of God, command this stone to become bread. A better way of stating that verse is, 
you're the son of God, so let's see you make some bread. In the fourth verse, Jesus' answer, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone. You ever think about this? Bread's not a bad thing unless you're trying to diet, right? Bread's not a bad thing. Actually, bread's a necessary thing. What does Jesus get challenged by the devil? If you're the son of God, make bread. Jesus says, well, you're not going to live by bread only. And what Satan, I've already stated this a minute ago, but I'll state it again. What Satan is actually doing, what the devil's actually doing is challenging Jesus to act differently than what he should in the sense that he's already trusted his father. He knows that his father's going to take care of him. And again, you can take that back to Israel in the wilderness and God speaks and says, you'll remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he humbled you, he tested you to know what's in your heart, whether you'd keep his commandments or not. He let you hunger, that he fed you with manna, which you didn't know anything about and your fathers didn't know anything about, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And there's a key. You see, Jesus quoted that. He says to Satan, you want me to make bread, but we aren't supposed to live just by bread alone. But he's quoting scripture in the process. And the scripture, if you know it, which I just read to you, but if and Jesus certainly knew what it said, was this. You don't live by bread alone, but you live by every word that comes from the Father. He's saying there's more to life than the physical. There's this spiritual aspect you've got to pay attention to. I want you to think about this as Jesus is tempted this morning. He's just come off 40 days. We know this from the, the, the first two verses we read this morning. He's come off 40 days of fasting in the wilderness. He is physically hungry, but he is spiritually full. Did you hear that? He is physically hungry, but he is spiritually full. And what does Satan do? Satan wants to separate those two things. If you're the son of God, I mean, how much more spiritual could you be? Make these stones into bread so you can eat something. Jesus, don't you know you're hungry? Jesus, don't you know that all that fasting out there and everything you did, it puts you in a bad position physically. Can I tell you what we sometimes allow Satan to do to us, and sometimes we do it ourselves? We allow Satan to remove God from the places where God rightly belongs. Satan is saying, well, yeah, sure, you're spiritually full here, but you are physically hungry, and God's not taking care of you in that aspect. And Satan is trying to separate those two things apart. Do you ever do it in your life? Have you separated God? The church did it for years out of, the church allowed God to be separated out of, if you would, mental illness things. Church kind of assumed that, you know, mental illness was a spiritual problem, and it wasn't. We'd say somebody would come along, they'd have depression. They'd be, they'd be having difficulty emotionally. And the church would say, well, we'll pray for you. We wouldn't acknowledge the fact that there was really something going on there that, yeah, we do need to pray, and that brings God into it, but there's really something going on there that God needs to be allowed into. Or maybe you've separated God out of your finances. You know, that's between me and me and not between God and me. Satan is saying to Jesus, 
God doesn't belong in this part of your life. And I'll tell you what Jesus proved without a word, and that is this. It's better to be hungry inside of the will of God than it is to be full outside of the will of God. You need physical bread for your bodies, but we need spiritual food for our souls, and Jesus knew that. You should not live by bread only, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. And then you see the next three or four verses. The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. S- he said to him, to, the, to you I will give all this authority and their glory for it's been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it's written, you'll worship the Lord your God and him only will you serve. The temptation right here, this is the second temptation of the three temptations, is a little bit different. Jesus is taken in in a brief moment of time and he's given a vision of the world. He's given an understanding of everything that is in the world as if he didn't already know it. Satan's implying that it's his and that he can give it to Jesus even though we know that one day Jesus will rule that world as well. Did you notice that Jesus didn't challenge the assumption that Satan made? That is, that that it was Satan's to give. Jesus doesn't even challenge it in any way. If Jesus had said, well, yes, Satan, I'm going to worship you, what he'd really be doing, what he'd really be doing is what later in the Gospels was called casting out devils by Beelzebub. He'd be, he'd be getting what he wanted, but he'd be doing it through Satan. It, it, and did you ever think of this? If Jesus accepts Satan's offer, because Satan said, all you got to do is bow down and worship me, and I'll give you everything that I just showed you. If he does that, did you ever think about this? Your salvation is then lost. If Jesus bows down, he has sinned. And if he bows down, there's no one left perfect to win our victory there would no longer be a perfect sacrifice for our sins he would have contradicted every messianic scripture from the old testament and in accepting that offer from satan he would have avoided the most difficult thing he had yet to face and that was the cross of calvary this temptation hear me on this this is important this temptation allows jesus to bypass the cross Good Friday, out of here. Death on the cross, out of here. And everything that's ever been written about the Messiah says that he would suffer and die before he received his Father's glory. You know, in 1 Peter 5 and verse 10, Peter writes these words, After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Have you ever noticed that God does things different than we would? And what I mean by that is this. We would take the glory without the suffering, but God's pattern seems to always be that he starts with suffering and the glory comes later. You see, Satan's pattern right here, church, is to start with the glory and the suffering comes later. Jesus never said... uh, 
All these things will be added unto you, and then you can seek first the kingdom of God. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added unto you. He didn't say, deny yourself so everything will be great. He said, take up your cross, die daily, deny yourself, and follow me, and the good stuff comes later. Satan does it the exact opposite way. If you were to go back to the garden, and I think at some point in this message I'm going to do this, although it's not showing up right here where I expect it, so we'll see what happens later in the message, you and I together. But you'll remember that what happens in the Garden of Eden is that sin shows up, even though Adam and Eve had the most beautiful of settings and everything would have been great forever, that's when Satan steps into the picture and says, you got it good, let's see if we can mess this up. Jesus comes along and says, take up your cross and follow me, and it'll be good later. It starts with suffering. It ends with glory. Satan seems to want to offer us glory, but it always ends in suffering. Do you know that there are no shortcuts to the Christian life? There's no easy way to spiritual victory there's no easy way to spiritual maturity. It's hard. And I think the reason is because it's a battle. It's a spiritual battle. Jesus did not sit on his throne and will not sit on his throne until he goes to the cross. Who are we to think that it should be any better for us? Finally, the last three verses he took him to Jerusalem and set him up on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it's written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they'll bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. The temptation here is simple. For Jesus to presume upon the protection he had from his father, to have a special favor with God. And Satan actually misquotes Psalm 91, 11 and 12 in speaking to Jesus. He says it said, you'll put your Lord to God to the test, but it says a whole lot more than that in Psalm 91. There was a tradition amongst the Jews that the Messiah would go to the pinnacle of the temple when he showed up, and from that pinnacle, Jesus says, or rather Satan says to Jesus, jump and see if your father saves you. Israel put God to the test in the desert, Jesus says, and I'm not going to put my, test, my father to the test right here. Do you ever claim that God is going to protect you, but then you willfully get yourself into a mess that God shouldn't have to? We do that all the time, don't we? People of Israel, I already mentioned this to you, but they get out there in the desert and they start complaining to God about no water. It's Exodus 17, verses 1 to 7, and they complain and complain and complain to God. And finally, at the end of that story, after Moses has struck the rock and the water comes out, Moses names that play Masa because they quarreled with God, it says. Do you ever quarrel with God because you can't trust him? That's what they were doing. 
and they tested the Lord, and they said, is the Lord here amongst us or not? And the final verse here, which isn't part of the temptation, when the devil ended all these temptations, he departed from him until he had an opportune time. And I'm about to give you my bottom line, but I'm going to take a while to explain it to you more than I usually do. The devil is defeated when our flesh has retreated. What is the point of Jesus' temptation? What is the point of what Luke has given us? And Matthew gives it to us, too, in a little bit different order. And we believe that Matthew has it right. doesn't matter, but it is different in Matthew than what I've read you this morning. What is the point of Jesus' temptation? Well, listen, if you would, to Hebrews 2. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a faithful and merciful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For he himself has suffered when tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. You ever think about that? Jesus was tempted so that we could see that as a human, he was tempted just like us and he overcame writer Hebrews would later say we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens Jesus the son of God and will hold fast our confession we don't have a high priest who's unable to uh, sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet he is without sin let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need you see Jesus was tempted like we are. Now you say, uh, Jesus wasn't tempted like I am, Joel. I didn't go through anything like that, and he's never gone anything through anything like I have. But on the cross, he bore the sins of the world, every sin of every person. And the answer is yes, Jesus has been tempted as we are. Look, if you would, at how this passage began. Full of the Holy Spirit, Jesus returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. I want you to compare that for a minute. I've already done it, and here it is. Uh, I'm, I'm doing it right here, and it's not where I wanted to do it. But I want you to compare that with what took place in the garden. Jesus goes for 40 days, he's hungry, and then he's tempted. Look, if you would, at the garden. The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you shouldn't eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you'll not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you shouldn't touch it lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, you'll not die. God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like him, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make herself wise, she took its fruit and ate it and she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate as well. I want you to think about this for a minute. Jesus is in the wilderness. He is in the worst place you could go. He's in a terrible situation. He is hungry as could be. And that is when Satan comes to tempt him, when he's exhausted in a bad place and his belly's not full, and Jesus wins, right? Jesus overcomes. Adam and Eve are in the best place that earth has ever known. They are in the best, most beautiful place in the world. Adam and Eve are there with everything that they can take care of and can feed them and nourish them. They get to enjoy it all. And the first temptation comes along and they fail. And so the bottom line, the devil's defeated 
when our flesh has retreated, you're saying, Joe, I don't quite get that. I want you to think about the temptation of Jesus. First one was, meet your needs outside of the will of God. Make these stones be made bread. Let me tell you what Satan was doing. Put your needs ahead of God's eternal purposes. It's exactly what Satan did to Adam and Eve. You want to be like God? I can do that for you. Just eat this. Jesus, hungry as could be, worst situation on earth, belly empty. Why don't you make those stones into bread? Why don't your immediate, seemingly immediate needs of hunger take the place of God's eternal purpose, Jesus? Why don't you just use those powers for your own good? Or how about the second one? Worship Satan. You know, Jesus, see all this world, see all the, the glory of this earth. It can be yours. Just bow down and worship me. And what I tried to say to him in the go, but I'm going to say it in a very brief way right here, is this. Satan was really saying to Jesus, to get to where you're going, you don't have to go to the cross. To get to where you're going, you don't have to suffer. All you have to do, Jesus, is bow down and worship me, and the rest of that stuff goes the way of the earth. And you'll get it. It's yours. The third thing is this. From the top of the temple, jump off here. And the, the real test in that, you know, God has said, he quotes Psalm 91, Satan says, God has said that he'll take care of you. He'll give his angels charge concerning you. So Jesus, go ahead and jump, and let's see what happens. Jesus, do you really trust what God says? Let's test that and see how it works out. How did Jesus overcome those temptations? I want it's, it's real simple. He put his flesh to death, and he put God's word to work. Did you hear that? He put his flesh to death. And he put God's words to work. He set aside his immediate needs and put into action what he said he believed. In church, that is what we're called to do. It's a little thing called faith. It's just simply living out what we say we believe. So the question now becomes, if I'm going to talk about temptation today, the question has to become, after all this, how do you do that? And it's real simple. You prepare for the battle. You prepare for the battle. When you get to Paul in the book of Ephesians chapter 6, Paul likens us to being in spiritual warfare. You can go read this. It talks about the armor of God. But one of the things it says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. What did Jesus do? He quotes from the Old Testament. He says, he, he, he says, let's just read Deuteronomy 8.3. He humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you didn't know nor your fathers knew, uh, that he might make you know that man doesn't live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus knew that verse. He knew that message from God, that when the Israelites were hungry and they had to really depend upon God, God came through but you got to trust that you don't just live by the manna. You don't just live by the bread. You live by what God says. You have to trust him for it. And church, if we are going to be prepared for the spiritual battle, we've got to trust God's word. But first, you've got to know it. 
says in Deuteronomy 6.13, it is the Lord your God, you'll fear him, you'll serve, and by his name you'll swear. Who do you fear more, Satan or God? Who do you fear more, hunger? And finally, Jesus' answer was this, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested in Massah. I give you those three passages from Deuteronomy for this reason. The devil is defeated when our flesh has retreated. you got to make a choice. Jesus was physically empty and hungry, but he was spiritually ready. Are you spiritually ready this morning? As you watch the president of Ukraine, he said the other day, man, I wish we had those planes before. I wish we had those missiles before. I wish we had before. You know what he was saying? He was saying we weren't prepared. We weren't ready for what was going to happen. Now, you can get into all the politics of why that is. I don't want to. I'm just saying to you, they weren't ready for what was going to happen. Are you ready? Have you spent enough time in the spiritual when you could that you are prepared for when the challenge comes? Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness. And when it was over, he was hungry. And that is exactly when Satan come to test him the worst. You know what happens with us? Unlike Jesus, who was spiritually full but physically empty, you and I are usually physically full but spiritually empty. And we are at such risk when temptation comes our way for that fact. Because we have lived in a world where everything comes to us easy. You say, Joe, it don't come easy for me. Don't tell me. You're in a warm building this morning. Well, it's warm outside, but you get the point. We've got it made. We're in Lent. Most of us, most of us during Lent think it's about denying ourselves of something. A friend of mine messaged me and said, I'm giving up Facebook for Lent. whoop de doo <laughs> Right? I mean, yeah. So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not eat meat for 40 days. That's going to show my devotion. Come on. Because, man, when the 41st day gets here, you know as well as I do, you are going to gorge like it's Fat Tuesday all over again. You could do that, you know, so many times. Jesus was spiritually full when the battle came. He had prepared for that. He knew that eventually Satan will come. And church, this morning I want to tell you, you better know that one day Satan is going to come knocking on your door. And if you are not spiritually ready, he will take advantage of your physical fullness and you won't even see it coming. So how do you get ready? How can you positively use the season of Lent to focus upon Jesus? And I'm going to tell you it's really kind of simple, and I'm going to challenge the church to do this. And you've heard me challenge you repeatedly. As long as you've known me, I've challenged you to things like this. But I'm going to give it to you real simple here this morning. Read your Bible every day. Read your Bible every day. Pray every day. But we're going to add one other thing to it, which I think is so very important. Seek fellowship with other Christians every day. Whether it's a phone call, whether it's a lunch date. Have you noticed that 
I, I, I joked one time back in the middle of COVID when we were all wearing the masks all the time, everywhere you went, I joked that there was something that wasn't so bad about wearing a mask, and that was that I could go out anywhere and stick my tongue out at people, and they wouldn't know I was doing it. The other day, I walked into the grocery store, and I saw somebody, and I thought to myself, I wish I had a mask. But anyway, <laughs> it's the wrong way to be. Seek fellowship with other Christians. You know what COVID's done to us? It, it, it's done a number on our society. It's done a number on the church. I, I could stand here and go on forever and tell you, but one of the things it's really done is it has done away with the fellowship of the people of God. Do you know how important that is to your spiritual growth? This morning I walked in here, some of you were here, some of you weren't, and it was just spontaneous how this happened. Right back here, a group of us were sitting and standing and talking, and people were coming in, and people were chatting it up and chatting it up and chatting it up. And I just sat down in a chair, and I turned away from everybody, so much so that somebody said to me, was I being antisocial? But I wasn't. I was taking it all in. Because we need each other. Christianity is not a Lone Ranger event. We need each other. So here's your challenge for Lent, to get ready for the battle. That if it isn't on your doorstep, is coming. You don't need missiles. You don't need guns. Pray every day. Read your Bible. And seek fellowship with other Christians. Give somebody a call. Just say, hey, I want to talk to you. How are you? You know what Jesus bids us do? He bids us take up our cross and die. Paul the Apostle would say, I die daily. He would say in another place, I crucify the flesh with all of its lusts. That's what God calls us to do. To set aside the physical. Not to ignore it, but to not feed it. Jesus was hungry when Satan came to him, but he was spiritually full. Church, get spiritually full. And whether your belly is full or not, when the enemy comes, you will be ready. You will have died out to the physical, died out to yourself and its lusts, and you have learned how to live to him through the simple spiritual disciplines of disciples, reading your Bible, praying daily, and seeking fellowship with others of like mind. You know, when Jesus went to the cross, he went there all alone. He went there all alone. But even on the cross, he found a friend, didn't he? Church, he found a bunch of them, and you're evidence of that. Father, we thank you today for how faithful and good you are to us. We thank you for one in heaven who once walked this earth. We thank you for one in heaven who at all points has been tempted as we are, and yet he is without sin. Yes, he is the perfect son of God, but he was tempted as we are, as a human. As he walked this earth, he was tempted to fill his own flesh, to seek his own glory, to take the authority and the power that was his and use it in a way that it was never intended to be used. And Lord, he was ready for that. He had walked in fellowship with you. He knows your word. He knows his word. 
And when the battle came, he walked away victorious. And because he walked away victorious, we have forgiveness of sin, newness of life, and the privilege to know him as our Savior. Help us as we go from this place today and as we sing this hymn, this song. In Christ's name we ask, amen.